ROI should get you ROL. If you're not getting the ROL, the return on your lifestyle, well, what's the point? For a while there, I wasn't getting it and I wasn't walking my own talk. Like I'm a big believer in that you have to be able to walk your own talk. You have to be authentic with respect with who you are. And you know, if you do that and you're successful, people will follow you. There's no question about it. You are listening to the Savvy Real Estate Investor Show, the podcast dedicated to empowering you to invest for your family's future. Listen in to learn about different strategies successful investors use to live their best lives. Whether you are starting out on your real estate wealth building journey or a seasoned investor looking for the next unfair advantage, this is the show for you. Each conversation will help you be more savvy when it comes to understanding how to leverage real estate to achieve your goals and live an extraordinary life. Your host is none other than seasoned investors and power couple, Jose and Khadija Jafferji, founders of the Savvy Real Estate Group, where we have been helping passive investors grow their wealth and getting them one step closer to financial freedom since 2008. Hello, fellow Savvy Real Estate Investors. We have Paul DeBuzo on the show today. We have known Paul for many years, and he actually helped us acquire a rent-to-own property in Cambridge back in 2013, and we actually still own that property today. Paul is a really cool guy who has impacted hundreds of lives through the coaching and expertise he provides in helping investors acquire profitable real estate investments. Paul speaks from a great amount of experience because he also operates and manages an investment company of his own. And he has a pretty impressive portfolio and an amazing land development project that he's going to tell us more about today. So without any further ado, let's get started with uh, Paul DeBruzzo. Hey, Paul. Thanks uh, again for being on the show today. Looking forward to having this conversation. So I'm just going to get right into it. A lot of people know you out there and you're part of Rockstar and I know you're a seasoned investor as well. Uh, tell us a little bit about what a day in a life of Paul looks like right now. What are you up to? Yeah, well, it's nice to see you guys too. Hopefully we can uh, you know, shake hands and hug in person. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. <laughs> so anyway, a day in a life. I mean, we have a young family and you know, there's, there's kids chasing us and biting our ankles all the time. Which is which is fun and and stressful too, so you know you it, it's a balancing act between you know making sure the business is running and, and going and growing in the right direction and you know trying to be there for your family too and you know actually enjoy experiences rather than just going through the mundane stuff that everyone's used to. So it's uh, family work, family work, sleep, you know. And uh, once in a while, Laura and I get out for a dinner or something. <laughs> Especially yeah, these days, that's a rare commodity. Yeah. Yeah, I know. We'll, we'll wait till we can get back to restaurants. Yeah. Or we'll have to open a speakeasy. Yeah. <laughs> so I know that you do a variety of things. For those who don't know you, perhaps you can touch on you know, what are your investment strategies like? And you, you, know, you talked about your business. What, what is your business? Yeah, interesting question. It's uh, multifaceted, I guess. We started just as uh, ordinary 
you know, real estate investors like like everybody else. We we, we bought our first rental property. I think it was two thousand nine or ten, something like that. So it's been over ten years now, and uh, you know, slowly that morphed into uh, me getting my real estate license and joining Rockstar. There was you know opportunity there to join, and but I didn't want to be a realtor. You know, without being too direct, you know, I'm not really fond of the stereotypes of, of being a realtor, but, you know, the opportunity to work with investors was there and I thought it was a good fit. And that's kind of where I've been ever since. So as a realtor, we're investor focused, if you want to call it that. And our business and volume and the amount of clients we work with uh, has grown, you know, every year that we've been in business. And so has my portfolio. But I, I, I think for what I do, and, and I know what you guys do, like it's part and parcel, right? As I'm growing my portfolio and, you know, uh, uh, taking on new challenges and new experiences and making God knows how many mistakes, I become more experiences. I get more turns around the block. And, you know, that puts me in a, in a better uh, position of expertise to actually coach and, and, and mentor new and, you know, uh, a beginner and even intermediate type investors, right? So that's that's kind of helped me. The building a portfolio has obviously helped my my personal life and my lifestyle and my family too. But it's it's served me in our our day to day investor focused realtor business. I don't know I don't know a better way to call it than that. But it's it's served us there too for sure. And so we 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 manage our our rental portfolio. Uh, we're now doing developments for this will be year three we're in. So. I've built six semi-detached projects, uh, all in, in the Niagara region. And not because I have a love affair with Niagara, it's just that's where the opportunities existed. And we kind of got to know the market and just kind of grew from there. And we, uh, we bought some raw land also in the uh, nice, very nice community of Font Hill, Ontario. Most people don't know where that is. It's just, it's, a, it's kind of an upscale suburb of St. Catharines. Uh, in between St. Catharines and Welland, but really nice. The, the whole Pelham, Font Hill area, really, really, really nice homes, like estate homes there. So we, we got some land, you know, in, in the core, closer to the downtown that was abutting the local Meridian brand new community center. And the city uh, allowed us, uh, well, not allowed us, but we worked with the city to, to create a, a real urban a design. You know, some street towns facing the road, uh, with an interior private road and behind the private road, another set of slap on grade uh, townhomes, which was unique to the area, you know, when there's all kinds of big single family homes, but uh, they wanted to create some density and, and, but do it in a way that lent to the neighborhood and created a facade that was nice and people would want to look at. Right. So that was really important. So we started, we designed the land to be uh 31 lots, basically 30 townhouse lots and uh, a little five unit condo building. So, and we ended up selling half the land uh, once it was site plan approved to another developer. And we retained 18 townhouses and we were just finishing building those 18 townhouses. Uh, they should be finished. I mean, they should have been finished at the end of this month, but 
probably the end of February and hopefully not beyond that. So in the next little while will be complete and they, they look fantastic. Wow. Amazing. And you know what? Um, our journey is very, very similar. As you mentioned, uh, we started around 2007. I bought my first property and then, uh, you know, uh, I remember working with you when you were a broker, a realtor, and uh, we bought uh, one of our rent-to-own properties in Cambridge uh, through Paul. So that was an amazing experience. But yeah, it's it's you know you've evolved into so many different aspects of real estate, uh, you know, over the ten plus years that you've been doing this. So congratulations on all your success uh, and and many more to come. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's fun taking on new challenges, right? That's that's what's nice about this business is, um, uh, you know, you. I'm not a um, how do I say this? And I'm not really a nine to five. You know, sit at your desk and all the rules type of person. <laughs> so it's nice to be in a, in a in a place where you can apply your own creativity and create results from that. I mean, that's. I, I think a lot of people crave that too. And they want real estate to be that outlet for them. And that's just kind of, you know, what I've been doing. Yeah. You know, that's what I love about real estate is that there, there's so many different aspects to it. Like you can go into development, you can, you know, become a broker, you can become uh, a, uh, you know, uh, do infield, you can do duplex conversions. There, there, like whatever whatever you get bored, you can move on to the next strategy to challenge yourself, you know? Yeah. The, the market tends to do that for you. you. You can't just stick with one strategy forever, especially in our market. I mean, you, maybe in other markets is different, but in Southern Ontario, you kind of have to adjust yourself or you get left behind, unfortunately, or you get stuck not doing deals. Yeah, for sure. So you talked a little bit about your development side, which I think we can maybe delve into a little bit more, but in terms of your investments, Maybe you can tell us what, like roughly, what does your portfolio look like right now? What are you investing in or are you buying still or is it more stuff that you've just held for several years? Yeah, it's a combination of both. I mean, we have, I don't even know, I think we have like 15 or 16 or 17 rental properties. Honestly, I don't know until we get to tax time. Until <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Are they single families? No, nothing is single family anymore. Any, anything that was single family, I had one single family actually in, in Cambridge too, <laughs> close to your the property I helped you guys get, and but we we sold that a couple of years ago. I think it'd be a year, three years ago. That was the first property we ever sold, and then that was the funding to start our first development project. We have any single families we have left, we converted them to convert the basements to duplex conversions or to single family homes with legal accessory suites. And uh, we're looking forward to doing uh, two garden suites coming up. So we've already set up the some of the foundational stuff for that. So the permits will be going in uh, probably later this year for the first one. Where are those, Paul? So those, would, those are in Hamilton. So uh, I'll, I'll finish answering your question. So yeah, we have a combination of, you know, some single family, a lot of small residential multifamily, you know, two, three, four units. What else? I think that's it. I don't have anything over four units anymore. The, 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 we did have a commercial multifamily. A lot of people know me for multifamily, which I love multifamily. But that, that building we had, we bought it. We turned over. It was a 16-unit building in Hamilton. 
we bought it, we turned it all over, did all the work. You know what I'm talking about, Jose. And then um, some random dude just made an offer on the property. And, you know, at first I just totally rejected him and he kept making offers. And finally I was like, you know, buddy, if you want to buy it, here's a number, take it. And then he's like, yes. And I was like, okay, if you can have it. <laughs> so we sold it like a year and a half later, just out of, just from that situation. We made a bunch of money and then I just went and did, we, I took that money and we did, I couldn't find another multifamily. So we just did that big development project that I was just describing to you, the townhouses in Font Hill. So I don't have anything larger anymore. And then it's fun. It's, it is fun. And it's good to, if you have a portfolio, you know, always look to continue to add value to it. So if you can add basement suites and now garden suites, it's, it's, it's a no brainer. Once you already own the land, like you're adding units to it is uh, once you factor in the ROI calculation, it's a total no brainer. We're duplexing or building the accessory suite in one of the basements right now in Hamilton. So in preparation for the garden suite, while my plumber was there, I had him run all the plumbing lines, all the drains right outside. So right through the new egress window, right through the pipe, there's a big pipe. The electrical is running through. The drain is coming up beside it. And the water line is right there. And they're all capped right outside the window well. So when we're ready to build a garden suite, we just have to tap <laughs> the outside, the all the connections we made, and we're done. So that'll be. I'm looking forward to that. That'll be the first garden suite I do. I mean, it's a it's a brand new strategy for the most part. So it'll it'll be fun. Oh, exciting! Um, you, you know, uh, can you talk a little bit more about? I want to get into the development side because that's you know I find it personally interesting. Mm-hmm. Like, were you, how did you come across that project? Like, how did you find it? You know, uh, and obviously maybe share some of the the hurdles that you had to go through because that was your first large, large scale land development project. Or had you done some, you had done some infill projects before that, correct? Well, I was in the middle of two infill, small infill projects. And then that one came up and I had just sold the building a few months back. And I was like, you know what, screw it. You know, let's just do it. And uh, I had, you know, made some connections doing my first infill project in the Niagara area with some, you know, some people who are more experienced, much more experienced than me in development. And, you know, there was an opportunity to do a deal with one of them and like, hey, I got it. It's here. It's for sale. This is what it's going to look like. And, you know, we projected some numbers, projecting numbers in developments is like, you know, it's your best guess. (laughs) But for the most part, everything was good, and, uh, and we just did it. I was like, "Screw it, do it. Why not?" Right? Thank God we did. For sure. I mean, it's obviously turned out to be an amazing project. What was some of the uh, challenges that you had to go through? Uh, it, it, not just in terms of like getting to site plan approval, but you know, perhaps finding the investors and doing the pre-sale, all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. How long do you have? We didn't use any investors for this one. We just, we just bought it out in cash, my partner and I. Uh, so that wasn't uh, an obstacle we had to do. But it, I mean, you know, for a lot of people on, on big projects, like y- y- you definitely need partners. And that's another topic altogether. But so we didn't need it. We got through the design 
process. That was it was actually fun. It's cool to, you know, be able to, uh, you know, work with these urban planners and designers and, you know, come up with a design that's that's going to stay there f- for basically forever, right? That's your kind of stamp on on the earth. So you want it to look good, right? And you want it to be something that represents not necessarily you, but it's it's going to your reputation is kind of on the line. So if you build crap, you know, that's, that's kind of what you're going to get back. So that was, we pay special attention to, you know, make sure the design and what we were doing to the neighborhood was a benefit. And uh, I think the, the, the planner ended up winning some, some local award for the design, which is kind of cool. So that was fun. And then, so, I mean, we didn't really make any mistakes there, <laughs> but the mistakes started to happen when we went into pre-sale. So we started selling. I mean, there was nothing wrong with selling, I mean, but just we sold too early. And obviously prices moved tremendously in the last three years. And, you know, we, we sort of undersold ourselves in a lot of ways, which was kind of not so good. I mean, we, we still made a profit and some of the investors who stayed in early, who put their reservations early and converted to, agreement to purchase and sale, they did really well and good for them. So, you know, if, if I do this again in Ontario, you know, you definitely want to hold back inventory as you proceed through the development. So unless you need to get sales done for your, to open up your financing, you know, there's no real reason in, in this market to sell early at all. And if you have, 10 units or, or 12 units or 18, like we had, it's best to like sell three or six and then just hold back the rest. Like we just kind of, when we did open up the sales, they were just reservations. We couldn't sell them on APS because you have to have your tor- carry on register to do that officially. Right. But, you know, we just sold them all out on reservations. And we're like, okay, wow, it's done. Hey, we're heroes. And then, you know, a couple of years passed. We're like, oh shit. Like, Oops. <laughs> so that was an interesting experience. And, uh, but whatever, it, it, we, we got through that, you know, through the reservation process, some people ended up backing out on their own, like saying, Hey, we want our deposit back. We're going to do something else or something. And we're like, okay, there you go. And so we were able to kind of resell at more market prices, but like, it's, it's amazing. I, I, I you kind of not feel for, but you can, you could feel what the developers feel, right? Because they're they're almost you can you can now you know why they're holding back inventory all the time, and why they don't want to release stuff, and why they're very careful about what they release and how they release it, and how they set their prices and and stuff like that. Just and, and totally because of stuff stuff like this, they want to be able to maximize the profit and make sure they're getting fair market value for the property, for sure. Right? I'm sure there's some you know, greed built in there from some of these big developers, but you, you, it is, we are still in a capitalist society, I think. So that's kind of your job if you're a developer. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, definitely, and I mean, honestly, nobody, it, I mean, since we're talking about the market, nobody could have predicted what has happened over the last two years, especially, you know, it's, it's just been wild out there. So, and I mean, I guess you're on the forefront of it as an agent. And dealing with investors, maybe you can tell us a little bit about what your observations are, like what's happening out there and uh, what do you think is going to continue to happen over, you know, maybe the next one to two years? 
Yeah, well, I mean, it's no surprise, I think, to anyone listening here that prices are high every, anywhere and everywhere in southern Ontario. And is that going to change? Like, uh, probably not. How can it change? You know, never mind all the other fundamental factors like low interest rates. You know, just I think just demand, supply and demand itself is the most interesting thing to watch. You know, we all know there's immigration and there's, you know, more immigration equals more demand. But I think the supply issue right now is the biggest problem. Like, it seems like there's 100 people, 100 buyers chasing 20 properties, right? So let's say they raise rates this year, which we assume they're going to bump at a quarter point or another quarter point or whatever. Just small moves that really don't make a difference if you're capitalized anyway. And let's say the, the, there's been chatter, you know, I'm sure you've heard it too, that they, they want to raise the minimum down payment for an investor from 20% to 25%. So let's say they go through two rate bumps and raise the minimum down payment. And let's say you kill half the demand. So instead of 100 people chasing 20 properties, you got 50 people chasing 20 properties. Does that change anything in the market? Instead of 20 offers, you have eight. A big deal, right? So unless, you know, we find a way to increase supply, which you can't, you, that's one thing the government can't do. And they, they like to intervene in everything. But how, what are you going to do? Send people a letter mandating them to sell their homes? <laughs> so unless you, you, we find a way to increase supply, I, you, you, that, that uh, supply-demand ratio can't change overnight. And I, I think it's more of the same. Maybe, it, I hope, the rate of appreciation slows down a bit because it's not necessarily healthy for our market to be, at least I think, moving this quickly. But I, I can't see any drastic uh, black swan event changing the demand in our marketplace, nor the demand for rent either. There's just not enough units available, quality units. And we're in such short supply that like you and I could build 5,000 units tomorrow and it just be a drop in the bucket. Like it's just, we wouldn't even, wouldn't even affect the supply demand ratio on, on the rental side at all. So more of the same. For sure. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you totally that uh, the supply issue is the biggest factor and there is no, there's no way that we can solve that issue. Like it's just fundamentally impossible, you, you know, un- unless they were to, you know, introduce a, a lot of grants and and the builders are are very highly incentivized to create affordable housing, uh, which they have been, but it's not been working too well. Uh, so we can't rely on the government to solve this problem, uh, or anyone. At, at the start. No, I mean you, 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 we don't want to go there, but I mean, unfortunately, government policy is the biggest reason why we're here. <laughs> they cause inflation. And then they want affordable housing, but then they add HST to new housing. Like, why Why would you do that? Why tax the people you're trying to help? Does this make any sense? That's right. No, and, and I personally went through this. I'm doing my infill project right now. And the amount of red tape there I had to go through just to do this project and the delays, you know, it's staggering. And as a as a... As a builder and developer on this project, I, I've I I got to learn that you know, like you said, the costs are 
very much unpredictable in this space. Uh, like uh, my lumber cost was dramatically higher, uh, obviously for, you know, so, and, and, you know, as, as a developer, like the good thing is that the market has gone up. So you, you make up for those types of uh, contingencies, but uh, you know, if it hadn't, I would have had to swallow that loss, you know? Yeah. And, and as a developer, those are the risks you assume which is why if, you, if you're good at what you do and you got a good project, you should be making a profit. Like when you put out that much money and you're assuming that much risk, there's supposed to be a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow for you, right? Or else what's the point? So if you de, de, uh, incentivize or decentivize, de, de I don't even know. What <laughs> you're not giving proper incentives to developers and builders. They're not going to build units. If you can't build units, well, we're in trouble. Yeah, 100%. So, Paul, I know that big part of your business is working with investors. Um, what does that space look like right now with all of this stuff we've just, this doom and gloom market, you know, what, what are investors doing now? What are, what are the next steps? What do the next two to three years look like for people in the space? Well, I think more of the same, you know, the people are still there hunting for cash flowing properties. You know, we're having to do more you know, duplexes and triplexes and stuff, which is a good thing. And that's not uh, out of our area of expertise, but they're just much harder to find and you're paying more for them. But I mean, and I know you guys understand this and it's hard for most people who ha don't have this conversation regularly. It's kind of a, I mean, you are paying more on paper, but you know, you're, the dollars you're using are actually worth less. So what would you rather have a pile of, Canadian dollars worth whatever you think they're worth? Or would you rather take that money and you transfer it to equity in this property that's also producing some cash flow? Yep. It's all about, you know, uh, and that's what we're seeing right now is people wanting to, you know, invest in hard assets, right? Um, and, uh, you know, because of these inflationary measures uh, that uh, that's been introduced right now. Yeah, 100%. So, um, yeah, I read some statistic about how many, how much percentage of the population right now owns a rental property, and it was way higher than I had expected. I can't remember the exact number, that's, uh, so I'm not going to say it, but uh, it, I was surprised that a large percentage of people are, you know, they've at least got some, like a condo or or something that's a secondary rental property. So people are, I mean, there's lots of media coverage about the market as well, right? Which is driving a lot of investor action. I used to use, I mean, when I was, I still teach the multifamily class all the time. You know, I used to use the numbers of like 8% approximately of the Canadian population owns rental properties. But I, I assume that's probably increased dramatically in the last three to five years. I should probably brush up on my stats too, right? But yeah, I, I think it it starts from a place of, choice too or lack of choice it's like you okay i have a pile of cash what am i gonna do with it do i put it in the stock market you know some people do well in the stock market but unfortunately most don't i don't have statistics there but you know i i, I say that confidently because if most people did we'd be having a different conversation right now <laughs> about the stock market you know do you give it to your mutual fund manager a lot of canadians do that do you put it into rsps a lot of canadians do that but look you know, look at your results and some people who are, you know, uh, I'll just say more critically 
or inclined to do more critical thinking or let's say looking at their options saying, I have money here, it's not doing anything, or maybe it's barely keeping up with inflation. The stock market's up, the stock market's down, uh, you know, it's almost a zero sum game. You know, what's left? And you're looking at the stability of our real estate market and they're saying, what choice do I have other than this? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what I wanted to ask you, Paul, is you're a young guy. You started super young. What do you do to work on, you know, your mindset and how do you continue to sort of motivate yourself to to grow and to continue to work as hard as you do? You know, you're in a good place and you have all these properties. Uh, what what keeps you going every day? Uh, well, yeah, yeah it, it, it's, you know, your, your motivation changes. I, I, I didn't mention before, but like as I was as I was buying my first rental property and, and shortly after getting my real estate license, at the same time, I was also just getting hired to the fire department. So I was actually a fireman. I had gone to college and took in a bunch of courses. And, you know, that was my, you know, childhood kind of goal, you know, which and ended up retiring early from the fire department, even though I was having lots of fun. It just wasn't, I wasn't able to maintain all of that, trying to be a fireman, you know, which has its moments i i tell people you're you're overpaid 95 percent of the time and severely 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 underpaid five percent of the time which makes up for the rest right but it's a interesting experience i had fun with the guys it's a real you got some camaraderie that hard to match but i i couldn't maintain that a family three young daughters being an investor focused realtor managing portfolio of rental properties I'm running out of fingers here. And then, you know, development projects and whatever else I got going on, right? It was challenging. So, you know, I had to give up something and change my business around to uh, make sure that my uh, I was reaping the rewards of my portfolio and all the work I've done. Trademark, I'm kidding. But ROI should get you ROL. If you're not getting the ROL, the return on your lifestyle, well, what's the point? What's the point? For a, for a while there, I wasn't getting it and I wasn't walking my own talk. Like I, I'm a big believer in that you have to be able to walk your own talk. You have to be authentic, you know, with respect, with who you are. And, and you know, if you do that and you're successful, people will follow you. There's no question about it. So I, I wasn't being authentic to myself and that had to change. So what motivates me, you know, I... I I, I want to be there for, for my family. You know, uh, what's the point of earning more money if I'm working 12 hours a day and I don't even know what the hell's going on with my own family? It doesn't make sense, right? So the business has to be symbiotic and that motivates me a lot to, to make sure I'm there and to, you know, just provide for my kids. I, I don't know, it seems very simplistic, but I don't know, you know, having all these kids kind of changed me. We, we just bought a new house in Oakville and I didn't even, I didn't sell my old house on purpose. Cause I'm like, man, if I'm here, if I continue to live in Oakville, where are my kids going to buy a house? You know, so I put 20% down on an ungodly number on this new house, carrying a mortgage over a million dollars. I'm like, what the hell am I doing? You know what I mean? But that's, that's, what's motivating me, right? It's just kind of taking care of the family and, and making sure we're enjoying our time together. Yeah, for sure. And I think that that is what it is, right? Jose and I talk about this all the time, that it's 
real estate has really allowed us to create a lifestyle for ourselves. When people talk about real estate, it's not, it, nobody really talks about the money. It's not like we sit down and say, oh yeah, like we made this much on... I mean, like you said, there has to be that pot of gold for you to feel that reward and to create that lifestyle. But ultimately, it's a lot about the freedom that comes with it, right? The, the lifestyle freedom, the freedom to have the time with your family and to have the financial freedom to do it without stress. Yeah, it, it's, it's, you're right. Absolutely. And it, it's, it's hard for people who are entrepreneurial like yourselves. You know, you get working, you get results, you, you, you do a house, you get results, you do a rental property, you get results, you do development, apartment building, you get getting results and doing more takes up your time, right? And it, it's at some point you're like, okay, I have results. How do I find balance? Right. And, and that was my, like, you know, smash my face against the wall moment. And, you know, I think we're um, um, way further on that path now, but still, I'm still learning. I'm still, I'm still learning for sure. Uh, I wanted to ask you, like, um, has there been any people or, or mentors that ha- that you've looked up to or, or learned from to get to where you are since you have been, you know, doing so many variety of different strategies and throughout your whole career? There's been a, a there hasn't been one single person really just kind of learning from everybody. Like, you know, I, I learned from you guys. I watch what you're doing. I'm like, huh. I mean, you know, Jose and Khadija are not, they're not, they're not stupid people. I mean, they must know what they're doing. You know what I mean? And I think doing stuff like this and podcasts and, you know, just absorbing content, you, you, you have these quasi mentors and you, you get to see what other people are doing and, and how they're achieving success. And, you can model that a lot easier than you could, you know, maybe 20 years ago. Right. So I think it's important though. What you said is, is the mindset part is, you know, I, I hired a, a coach for a while, just more to keep me accountable and to teach me some discipline in my business and in balancing the lifestyle, which was really important. Um, and, uh, like I, I, there, there isn't really isn't one mentor, man. I think you, I think for me, you got to pay attention to a lot of different people and, and and ways about doing things. And then personally, I find you you learn something, and then your your mentor's got to change, or else you get kind of stuck. And you know, as as a investment focused uh, realtor, you know, I'm sure you've impacted the lives of many many people throughout the whole career, and then especially since you've been doing this for so long. I'm sure. Would you have a number in mind that how many millionaires you've created uh, to date? Because you know what I mean. It's 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 all about like you've greatly impacted the lives of many many people um, in a positive way, and you know. So I wanted to give you a big congratulations to you for that because uh, I know that's part of your mission is to help people, you know, build wealth, um, and and you you're a big part of that. Well, I mean, I, I wouldn't say I, I, I caused them to become a millionaire, but maybe I contributed to that. And it's it's got to be probably more than a, a couple hundred investors that I've worked with. And, you know, some of them, like you, I might have helped them get one property and maybe they make almost a million bucks from one property. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but some a, a lot of those people... You know, we did multiple, multiple transactions, which is not uncommon for investors as because we're generally in an, in, a, in an acquiring mode, right? And yeah, I, I'd say maybe half of them we've done 
two to three transactions at least. And yeah, I never kept track of something like that, but it's, it's gotta be up there for sure. Yeah, no, that's awesome, Paul. Yeah, it, it is. Um, I think that a lot of, uh, what we get the most, um, satisfaction from is helping other people, right? It, it, it comes to a point where that sort of becomes your, your underlying mission. Once you're at a, at a place where you have financial freedom yourself, now this becomes your next why, right? And, uh, what I wanted to ask you was, where do you see yourself in the next three to five years? What are your, what are your big goals? Um, you know, with all the changes in the market and everything happening, do you see yourself continuing to be doing what you're doing to stay in Southern Ontario? Um, if you were to just sort of blanket it, where would you see yourself going? Or would you do another development project, uh or, or stick with smaller ones. Yeah, for now uh, I'm doing a smaller. I just got another property. I closed in December. It's actually a triplex, the ugliest triplex you've ever seen. But I can carve it into four lots. Like sever the lot. Yes, while maintaining some rental income, which is fantastic. So I jumped on that one right away. And there's a couple others I'm looking at, all off market stuff and. You know, I'll, I'll I'll get them because they're they're infill type projects and they're they're no brainers. Like we can, both of them, we can keep the house and sever a lot beside it. So it's, you know, for your listeners who don't understand what that means, I'm buying a house and there's either a lot behind it or a lot beside it. There's extended uh, a bigger piece of land behind it or beside it where we can and we can sever that lot and use that lot to build something else. So. If you buy the house and you sell the lot and the house can be turned into a rental property or can be rented as is and it's self-sustaining, it's a total no-brainer of a deal. So I'll do those all day. Um, and yeah, would I do another larger one in Ontario? Yeah, I would, you know, if it meets the right criteria. But I think the important thing is as the world's changing and I see, I mean, I'm no philosopher or anything, but I, I, it's just everything's changing so fast. I just want to be number one. I just want to continue to be a student of the marketplace. I'm learning about the the cryptocurrency space, uh, which is tremendous. And I think if you're not learning about that, you're absolutely crazy, especially if you've made some money in real estate. I mean, you, you got to be able to maintain your the value of the money you've made. <laughs> so keeping it, in, keeping it in dollars may or may not help you. So I'm, I'm learning about the cryptocurrency space. I'm trying to be a student in the market. We, we have some properties outside of in the Caribbean already. And, you know, we, we know that market really well, but it's uh, we're, we're probably going to learn, try and learn some markets in the U.S. I'm getting my European passport, you know, probably not hard to tell that, you know, my family hails from uh, Italy. So... <laughs> We're, we're getting our passport there. I may or may not buy a property there too. So we're, we're expanding, but trying to be students at the same time because I don't, I don't. I think in five years from now, we're not going to recognize the market at all here or, or anywhere. That's, that's my bold prediction. Yeah, so, you know, we're just coming to a close right now. What is there one quote or saying that you live by and, and that has, you know, led you to be successful in business and in life? Uh, oh, you got me. You can say uh, more than one. I would have like four. So. Yeah. <laughs> I used to have like a little, like uh, on my Mac, like the, the, the text edit, like little things. And I used to pop them in there. I don't even know where that file is now. 
But uh, a good one is um, how you do anything is how you do everything. Wow. Okay. It's so funny you said that because we had uh, another guest on our podcast, probably the one of the first episodes we recorded, and he said the exact same quote. And we say it all the time now too. We I say it to my kids. It's so so powerful, and um, you know, it speaks to your integrity. It speaks to your work ethic. Um, it, just you as a person, right? Yeah, and I, I'm not, I'm certainly not perfect. I got I know a lot of stuff from making mistakes. I said I there's no manual for what I did or do. And uh, what's another one? Oh, our, our our new tagline for our business is "Invest in a life worth living." So that one took a while to come up with, but I think it encompasses everything we do. And I, I got to find a way to trademark ROL, return on lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah, I know. That one's really good too. And it, yeah, it's interesting to have these conversations with, uh, you know, a lot of our guests, some of them are of uh, sort of that, you know, different generation, like some of them are in their 30s and 40s. And some of them, we've talked to a few people who are 50s and 60s, but this generation values things a little bit differently than our parents did. It, it's a very different generation. I don't think I'd ever, I don't know about you, but I don't think I'd ever hear my parents talking about lifestyle or time freedom or, you know, these terms are just, uh, it's definitely an interesting shift. Well, I, I think the, you know, I learned from, I learned from that generation about work ethic, whether I liked it or not, but they didn't have the same problems we did. You know, that life was at least in my, from my perspective and watching, I grew up with my grandparents. So watching them and watching other people, and especially in, in my in my culture, like you know, they didn't have even half the problems that we do with stress and all this crazy stuff and nuts schedules. Like they went out, they did their hard work, and they came home, and you know, it was just naturally family. Drank wine and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I drank wine and made your garden and have fun with family and dinner on Sundays and. That was just natural. And and somehow we've gotten away from it. So I don't think they were talking like that because they didn't have to. Right. That's a good point for sure. I I mean this in a positive way, but I I almost feel sorry for the generation that's come after us. Oh, I say that all the time. It is scary. Like, whoa. Even what the kids are going through right now, right? Uh, During this time. It's hard to watch as a parent. I don't know if you feel that way, but we certainly do. (laughs) I'm holding my tongue. Um, <laughs> you don't you want to get me started yeah I, 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 it's sad and, and that you know that we went to Florida last year for after they closed the school for the third time I just booked a flight while my wife was talking I'm like uh-huh uh-huh yeah yep booked pack your stuff we're out of <laughs> yeah and uh, uh, one way ticket just to Fort Lauderdale I booked an Airbnb for three days and we ended up staying and just running around Florida for six weeks wow so, and, you know, landing there, you know, not that Florida is this exotic place, but it was just like, what a breath of fresh air. Like, just like that, just, just air, like your, your shoulders just drop. You're like, ah, oh, wow. Hey, how are you? Nice to see you. Nice to meet you. Where are you from? <laughs> Everybody's yeah. smiling. What, what's going on here? What are we doing wrong? <laughs> <laughs> hey, you kids going to school? Oh man, that's amazing. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you know where I'm getting at. uh, Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's another discussion for another time for sure. But, um, yeah, no, I, I definitely, um, I think that a lot we, I agree with you a hundred percent and, uh, it's definitely a hard time to be, to be here, but, uh, 
you know, it's it's good to hear that uh, we're we're making the best of it, continuing to motivate ourselves to to do the best we can to impact the world in whatever way we can, and uh, you know, really just to live the best life that we can under the circumstances. Yeah, that's all you can do, really, and uh, you just have compassion and and you just make the best of what you got in front of you. And but in the end, ultimately, the choice is yours. And I always, not I always, but it, it dawned on me that like. I love Canada. I grew up here. I have nothing but good things to say about this place, but it's, it's, it's changed a little bit and you know, you got to change with it or you got to do something about it. It's just no emotion about it. But you know, you, 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 you guys, you guys were born here. No, we weren't. Our families are from, uh, yeah, our families are from uh, Tanzania in East Africa. Yeah. I remember somewhere in Africa there. Yeah. Uh, but I, I was born here, but I was the first one born here. Like I don't, owe this place anything my dna is thousands of years somewhere else like if i want to and it's my i can't sit here and complain is what i'm trying to say you know you either do something about it or move your family somewhere else that you like that's what my parents and grandparents did why can't you right so i i don't want to sound like a complainer and this and oh my god and stuff like that I mean, we're in control of our own destiny here and you got to make the best of it one way or the other. Yeah, for sure. I mean, ultimately, you know, either you can complain about it or you do something about it. And, you know, that's why personally we've been looking at more opportunities in the, in the U.S. right now as well, as you may know, um, just because the way the market conditions are here and political landscape isn't as business friendly. So, you know, we decided to uh, make the shift. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw some of that. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for the hookups, man. (laughs) Anytime. (laughs) Well, thanks again, Paul. It was uh, honestly a nice. It was a nice catch up and a really good conversation. So uh, thank you again for your time. Um, We'll put it in the show notes. But if people do want to get in touch, uh, what's the best way to reach you? Yeah, you can uh, uh, just visit my website, my uh, www.paul.brutso.com. I guess you guys will put a link there. You can get a hold of me through there. There's some resources if you're an investor or an aspiring investor for you to download and use and that'll, that'll really help you there. And we can stay in touch by, you can stay in touch by joining my newsletter or, or finding me on pretty much any social media site. Our YouTube channel is um, Expert Investor Academy. We do spend some time curating some nice videos if you want to check us out there too. Uh, but I, I appreciate the invite. It's always nice to talk to you guys. I, I, I I, I do uh, respect tremendously what you guys do. You guys are you guys are hustlers. Um, so I'm, <laughs> I'm learning from you guys too. Oh, yeah, thanks, thanks, Paul. Yeah, no, we really appreciate your time, and um, yeah, hope to uh, catch up with you soon in person. Yeah, yeah. See you guys. All right. Take care. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation on the Savvy Real Estate Investor Show make sure to hit subscribe or follow on whichever platform you are listening to this on. If you liked this episode, please write a review and share it with us. We are getting the show up and running right now, so every message, every review, and every note counts. This show exists to showcase how investors at any level can start using and leverage real estate to become savvy wealth builders. If you want to learn more about how we can potentially help you create more passive income and build your wealth faster, go to www.savvyrealestateinvestor.com 
Once again, it's www.savvyrealestateinvestor.com. All right, that's a wrap. We can't wait to hang out with you on the next episode.